Dear Heavenly Father, we are eternally grateful for your word. This morning we pray for a fresh word from a passage that we have heard and quoted and memorized for many years. We pray, Lord, that you would speak a, a new truth, a fresh truth into our hearts. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. This morning we are continuing our sermon series on uh, improving your life. So if you want to make your life better, if you want things to go better for you and you want to avoid the drama of life, you want to follow 10 things. And if you can do these 10 things really well, then we know that you will do well. So this, this morning we continue our Ten Commandments series, and what we've discussed and what we've decided is that we don't follow the Ten Commandments because it's going to assure us salvation, but rather we try to live them out in our lives because God, the creator of the universe, is trying to speak a word into our lives and teach us about the best possible way to live. And so that's why we're spending some time on this. So to just jump right in, the commandment is very simply, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. And that's a pretty simple teaching. We know that um, because even without God telling us, we don't want to murder somebody because then we're going to go to jail for the rest of our lives. And how many of you, like, want to go to jail for the rest of your lives? Anybody? You do get three meals a day, though, right? I don't know. No, of course not. This is intuitive and intrinsic, and it's a part of who we are as humans. We don't end another person's life. Now, the Bible commentators would say that this word for murder is really just saying it's a type of slaying which called forth a blood vengeance. So how many of you remember uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet? I never read it, but I know the basis of it. The family kills a member of another family, and that family kills a member of the other family. And what happens? It goes back and forth, back and forth. And so what the Bible writers and what the commentators are saying is that when God says that you shall not murder, what he's saying is do not slay somebody because of a blood vengeance. Don't carry on this family feud. Now, this doesn't happen in churches, right? We don't carry these family feuds in churches, right? No, of course not. There's no feuds or problems in churches ever, is there? Never. It's a joke. Sarcasm. What theologians have come to agree is that in this commandment, it's a basic prohibition against killing someone cause and a fellow member of the covenant community. Remember, the Ten Commandments were specifically given to the covenant community. And the covenant community were who? The Israelites. But in the New Testament, what we find is that you, as a believer of Christ, are part of the spiritual Israel. And so these Ten Commandments are still valid for us. These Ten Commandments weren't there to serve as law of the land. These Ten Commandments, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and you can email me to disagree, doesn't matter if these Ten Commandments are in our courtrooms because God gave them to believers. God gives them to people who have made a commitment to follow God and to do as he calls us to do. You see, the Ten Commandments are supposed to shape the people who believe in God. In essence, it was for the Israelites, but today the Ten Commandments are still a vital way for you to live your life because it makes you a better person. It's that simple. 
God's words make us better people because God is the one who dreamed up this world and created it, and God is then teaching you and I how to live in this world. So that's a really simple teaching, do not murder. Most of us would say, hey, I'm free from this because I've never killed anything. I might have killed a rat, might have killed some flies or some spiders or ants, whatever it is, but I don't kill people, so I'm free from really this teaching, and so we can be done. But the truth is that there's so much more to this teaching, and you can thank Jesus for this. Matthew chapter 5 says, this is, this is speaking. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to, hell, to the hell of fire. Now, he's not talking about your brother and sister like that live with you because then we're all condemned, right? How many of us have ever said unkind things to our brothers or sisters? How many of us have ever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> How many of us have ever fought with our brothers and sisters? We do it all the time. But what Jesus is saying, he's taking this, this very simple commandment to not murder others, but what Jesus is actually saying is even if you just have hate in your heart for somebody, in essence, you've already murdered them. This passage, though, carries with it something more than just like if I kill somebody now and then I go to jail, but rather Jesus is bringing a more cosmic way of seeing, and he's saying you will be liable to the hell of fire. What he's saying, he's trying to get the point across, is that you think you're a Christian or for them um, a faithful Jew. You may think that you are keeping all of the laws, but if you even harbor a little bit of hate for a brother or a sister of this covenant community, you've already committed murder. And Jesus goes on to say, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer. How many of us have ever come to church upset with somebody? Now, let me, let me bring it this way. Let me, bring, let me make it this way. How many of you have ever, and don't raise your hands, how many of you have ever come to church and on the way to church you were arguing with your husband or wife? I don't know. No, no, let's do this. I'm just, humor me. How many of us have ever been on our way to church and we're arguing with our husband or wife or we get mad at our kids for doing whatever it is that they did or as kids we're upset at our parents because they got mad at us and they grounded us and we can't go do what we want to go do that night. I mean, how many, to how many of us, don't answer this because I know it's not true, but for those other people, we have a friend who they come to church and they argue, but the moment they pass the driveway, it's like everything is perfect. It never happened to me. But I have a friend. And yet Jesus says, if you have something against your brother or sister, and I'm assuming that that also means your husband, your wife, your children, to how many of you are angry and you still come to church and you still go through the motions and you still wear your suit or your dress and you come up and you pray and you give your offering and you give your tithes and you sing your song and you shake everybody's hand, but yet you have something against your husband, your wife, or your children or your friends. I remember not that long ago. Some of you already know my story. I'm a stepfather to three kids. 
Now, I don't know if any of your step-parents in this, in this room, but it's a little bit harder to be a parent when you're a step-parent. It's just the way it is. Um, I can't discipline my kids the way I would like to. <laughs> um, in the sense of, you know, I have to be careful how I say things because I'm still the outsider. But I remember one time we had a really, it was an especially difficult week that we had at home, and there was just all sorts of things, and it was early on um, in our marriage. And, and one of the things, it was just one of those weeks where, have you ever had one of those weeks where everything is just super tight, like, there's a lot of tension in your house, and every little thing sets one thing off, and it's just like, ah, you know, and, and you're just like, I need this to be over. So I remember it was, that, it was a weekend when we had the kids come to church with us, and, um, and it was just off. It's like everybody was upset or hurt at everybody, and I remember in my mind, all I could think about is, I have to go preach, but I may have said or done this that offended or hurt one of them. I have to go preach, but I know that Kim's probably a little upset because of how I acted with the kids during the week. So what did I do? I had to sit the kids in the office. I can share the story because Kim's not here. I had to sit the kids. Well, she's in the children's. No, but I, I had to sit my kids down and apologize to them for how I had treated them. As parents, do you like to apologize to your kids? No, because we're always right, even if we're wrong. We make the rules. <laughs> we can break them. But I, had a, I share this with you because it's very difficult for me to say sorry about things. And yet what I found, had I not done that, I probably couldn't have appreciated the worship hour that we spend in here. I'm not a perfect Christian, far from it. But I understand the importance of what it means to make amends with people because otherwise sitting here in church, singing all these beautiful songs and hearing God's word, it's irrelevant if we're not acting out what we are learning here this morning and every single Saturday morning. If you remember that your brother or sister has to think about you, get there before the altar. He is putting the blame on you. If somebody has something against you, in essence, if you have done something, go and make. You see, Jesus, for him, I can kind of begin to understand why the people, the religious people of the time, didn't like Jesus. It was enough just to say, don't murder, because then all of us would be scot-free and we'd be fine. But what Jesus does is he takes a very simple statement of, you shall not murder, and he flips it up on its head, in essence, and he says it's about so much more than actually taking a physical life. How you treat others isn't a reflection about how you about that person, but how you treat others is a reflection of how you view God. How you treat others isn't a about how you feel about them or what they've done to you, but it is a reflection of your view of when your reaction towards someone is based solely by how you feel. And I have to read this because I got the wrong film and I wrote it, okay? Plagiarizing. But when your reaction towards someone is based solely by how you feel about that person or how you feel as a result of what that person has said or done to you, you are based on how you feel. In essence, you're allowing your feelings to dictate your actions. And so if you have a study guide that's probably in all of your bulletins, and if not, we can have the deacons pass them around. Here's your first fill-in-the-blank. Treat others not by how you feel, but by how God feels about them. 
blank right after that. Being a Christian isn't just about getting saved. Being a Christian is about from a life that is self-serving where you are the center of the universe and putting God at the center of everything you do, every interaction you have, Your feelings cannot dictate how you treat other people. I know there are times when you have been hurt or you feel betrayed where somebody has said something to you and all you can think about is how am I going to get that person back? And yet what we find in the scriptures and what we find Jesus saying is don't let your feelings dictate how you're going to treat that other person. Instead, let your relationship with me and view of who I am as God dictate how you will treat that other person. Because to treat them just based on how you feel, if you're angry and you curse at them or you curse at them or you try to get even with them by spreading a rumor or gossip or whatever it is, when you do that, you're creating a wedge between you and that other person. And in essence, what you're doing is as though you are murdering that person. Another way of saying it is the mark of a genuine and authentic Christian is the ability to allow God's will to trump your will. We always want to do what sounds good to us. You always want to do because your life, and so you want to make the best decisions that you can make. So I think that if you are like me, you assume that what you want to do and how you want to handle a specific situation is the right situation. It's the right way to do it. And yet what we find in Scripture is that it is God's will that we must always do not our own. And so I want to ask a question to how many of you have you ever said something in anger towards someone? You said it in that moment, you were angry and you were upset, and the words that came out of your mouth were intentional in order to afflict pain on that other person. We've all done that. How many of us have said things on because we knew it was going to push the right button and it was really going to hurt them. We've all done it. If you haven't, you might. Because that person is made in the image of God, God creates that person. God breathes life into that person. And so the question is, do they deserve to be treated that way? I know it's a struggle because you're like, yeah, because they deserve okay. But the answer is no. I'll give you a quick example, and, and if you don't have kids, I'm sorry. Maybe one day in the future you'll, you'll understand this. For how many of you parents, if somebody says something raw, like mean to your kids, if somebody says something to your kids and it hurts their feelings, it makes them cry, if someone says or does something to your children that you don't like, you just put up with that and say, okay, whatever. Not usually, right? No, we go and we talk to that parent. Why? Because even if our kid is wrong, they don't have the right to do that. Right? Right? Amen? So God sees things the same way. We are children of God. So when one of us says something or does something that is hurtful towards that other person, you never had the right. And you don't have the right to get back at them. Because that is not the way that God works. Now, if you feel like... They keep getting away with this, and they keep hurting other people, and so someone has to do something, and the, and the answer is someone 
does have to do something about it, but it's not you. It's God. Because if you truly believe, and most of you who are here, if I mean, you're either a member or you're a Christian or you're a Seventh-day Adventist or you're searching, most of you who are here this morning have already ascribed to God that he is a God who is sovereign and who is in control and is moving things forward. If you believe that, then you will allow God to seek or to get revenge on the situation. Let God take care of it. It's not your problem because you are not the judge, the jury, nor the executioner. Your role is simply to do all that you can to honor God. And how you treat other people will either bring honor or dishonor to God. To try to get revenge, and here, I think here's the next fill in the blank. To try to get revenge is to believe in the myth of redemptive violence. And very simply, it's this. If you, um, well, the idea is very simply this. Children, my kids, <laughs> our kids, myself, growing up when um, I, I was the youngest and I had two sisters and one older brother. And, they, and so sometimes we would fight and sometimes we would get upset. And so I would think like, okay, I got my sister this time. I wasn't bullying her. She's six years older than me. And she was a lot stronger. As I started getting, you know, older and stronger, I thought I could take her. And so one time I tried because she was, you know, getting mad. And I had learned the one, you know, the one, two, one, you know, or jab, jab, you know, punch. But I didn't hit her in the face. I hit her in the shoulder because I was still kind of a nice guy. But she had hit my head against something else. So it was just one of those, you know, child rivalry things. The problem is she was stronger than me. The problem was that even though I had the technique down, I'm not by the way. I'm just showing you a bad, a bad example of how to be a bad Christian. <laughs> I thought I had the technique and the ability and the method to beat her, but what I realized is she was much stronger and she didn't need technique or method. She would just overpower me. I thought that I could put an end to it, but all it did was be more violent. You see, sometimes when somebody does something to hurt you and you want to get back at them, your init their initial response to you getting back at them is to get back at you. And what happens, it goes back and forth, back and forth. Violence never solves anything. Using mean words never solves anything. It only makes things worse. Being a Christian, a son or daughter of Christ, you are to act in a way that is beyond normal human behavior. So let me break this to you. When somebody hurts you or has done something hurtful to you, people will say, hey, you know what? You need to get back at them. That's the right thing to do. That's the normal thing to do. Hey, you need to get back at them because that's what they deserve. It's normal. Everybody would feel that way. The truth is, you're right. We all do feel that way. But the fact that you've chosen to be a Christian, understand I say you've chosen to be a Christian. No one's forcing you. Well, maybe if you're a kid, your parents, but when you choose to be a Christian, you're saying, I won't live this way anymore. I'm going to live the way of God. To commit yourself to following Christ, all right, to being a Christian, what you're saying is that you will try to live your life in such a way that is beyond just the normal human behavior. I'm going to say this and then I'll come back to it. To be sanctified is the process by which God molds, 
and shapes you and recreates you into a person that reflects God. To be a Christian, it's not just to say God is a God of grace and I can get, it's like a free get out of jail card. But to be a Christian is to say that God's grace is shaping me in such a way that I want to bring the good news everywhere I go. And oftentimes that's very simply how you treat others and what you say and how you say them. So the part about being sanctified is very simply this. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. God is working in you. The moment that you open your heart up to God, God is working in you to shape you and transform you. This isn't always pleasant. This is rarely fun. Yesterday morning as I was doing my my daily text, the reading that I do as part of my devotional study, there were some of these Bible passages that came up that were cutting me deep. And what I mean by that is I wasn't living up to them. Do you hate when that happens? You read something in the Bible and you're just like, ah, God, could you have just given this to me next year when I'm a little bit better? And so I, I sit there and I journal and I write what, you know, just kind of wrestling with the text. And the problem was just like, I've fallen so short of living up to what you are calling me to live up to, God. And it's painful because sometimes you hurt other people because you're not listening to God's word. Sometimes you hurt other people beyond repair when you are not living in the way that God wants you to live. When you are in Christ, God is making you into a new creation. I can't tell you exactly how it works. I just know that God works in you in a way that just naturally transforms who you are. The commandment that you shall not murder forbids all malice and hatred to a person of any kind, whether it's personal revenge, whether it arises from anger or sudden provocations, whether you are or betrayed. The second commandment call to not let your feelings dictate how you will treat other people. So I would say it this way. Anger is a natural feeling. What you do with it, how you express it, is an entirely different story. Do you seek revenge or do you leave it in the hands of God? The Bible tells us that vengeance is the Lord's. Whose is it? God's. It's not for you to seek revenge, as painful as things may be. Now, I have to stop here for a second and insert a caveat. Um, when I was writing this message, it was, an, it, was, it was with the very simple understanding of everyday human interpersonal reactions. So what I mean by that is um, seeking justice for something isn't revenge. So if you have been abused or raped or some horrible crime done against you to go to a court of law, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying do that. It's part of where we live. We live in a, in a country where we try to follow the laws the best we can. There's a, there's a justice system there in place that does the best that it can. What I'm saying is when, you, when it's something horrible and big like that, no, yeah, you, we live in a land where you're allowed justice. So I wasn't thinking about that, like, oh, if somebody raped you, hey, it's okay, be their best friend. That's not what I'm saying. Please understand that because I know that there might be people in here who have been hurt in ways that are just beyond the regular everyday stuff. 
okay, this message is about how we as a church are supposed to interact with one another, with other Christians, and with other people. Does that make sense? There's a clear distinction there. I would not make light of something horrible happening to you, okay? I'm just talking about everyday interpersonal type things. But the reason we leave revenge or vengeance or justice when it comes to just being betrayed by other people, the reason we leave that in the hands of God and why you are not to seek revenge, oh, did I skip it? Is because you are accountable to God. And other people are accountable to God. They are not accountable to you. And I want to go back to the one, this last one. And here's the other caveat. Even when you treat others the best way you can, there is no guarantee that others will treat you the same way that you treated them. But we're Christians. Our model of how we should live our lives is Jesus. And if we remember the story that changed everything, is that Jesus unfairly took all of your sins and all of your junk and he laid his life down so that you wouldn't have to pay what was the fair price for your sins. Jesus absorbed it all. In essence, we could say this. We take advantage of Jesus' death on the cross every time that we sin. How many of you have ever told somebody, hey, people are just taking advantage of you? Or has somebody ever told you, so-and-so is just taking advantage of you? Yeah, maybe, but I take advantage of Jesus every single day. You are accountable to God and everybody else is accountable to God. And you are called to live in such a way that is beyond hum normal human behavior, even to the point where it's painful. I get that. And when you treat people the best possible way that you can treat them, there is no guarantee that they will treat you the same way. And that's okay. Because we are called to be followers of Christ. We are not called to seek justice and get revenge on the people that have hurt us. We are called to live a life that honors and glorifies God. Now, I'm not also not saying if you keep getting hurt by somebody, you keep going back there. No, there's a time to cut things off, okay? I get that. But that's another sermon for another time. In other words, it is the character of God, everything we know about God through the Bible and through our life experiences that should treat you how to, how, that should teach you how to treat and engage others, not your feelings. So it is God who should teach you how to treat others, not your feelings. Your response to conflict should be rooted in your love and respect for God and how you can honor God by how you treat others. I know there's a lot of fill-in-the-blanks, but this is the kind of everyday stuff that we run into you see, who would have ever thought that the commandment to not murder somebody actually had to do with the things that we do on a daily basis? Which is why the title of the sermon is Blood on Our Hands. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we have probably murdered people a bunch of times in our lives. And sometimes we keep murdering the same person. We may not take their life physically, but the perception of People, maybe we murder someone by gossiping, by sharing untruths, by coming after somebody in such a way that tears them down. We are, in essence, murdering them. I'm going to skip a slide. That's just the fruits of the Spirit. 
And as Christians, we are to live in a way of, that shapes us as in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll come back to that on another day. Because there's three passages that I just want to read with you. I'm not going to go into a whole other sermon. Just to kind of solidify the words of Jesus. And it says this, Let love be genuine. Bless those who persecute you. Who? Bless those who what? Who love you? No, those who don't like you. Those who hate you. Those who want to kill you. Bless them. Bless and do not curse them. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, it will repay, says the Lord. doesn't mean that you get on your knees and you pray, God, please take them out once and for all. It's not, it's not. I mean, this is God's word. This is Paul writing inspired through the Holy Spirit. And he says, repay no one evil with evil. The normal human behavior is to get back and get even with them, but that's not the way of followers of Jesus. And it continues, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, and this is the only revenge you will ever get, by doing good, you will heap burning coals on their heads. So basically, as a Christian, not only do you not get even with someone on the everyday normal stuff, okay, but you treat them kindly, with love, with gentleness, because you are just trying to honor God in all that you do. And finally, he says, do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. And the one I don't have, there it says this John 1st John 3:15 All who hate a brother or sister are murderers and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them It doesn't say that if you don't if you hate a brother or sister you will not inherit eternal life it doesn't say that if you've murdered somebody you will not live in eternity with heaven what it's saying is if you are living your life in a way where you are hating people where you are tearing people down where you are killing them based on other people's perceptions then you do not have eternal life abiding in you and what that simply means is this you do not know the grace of christ you may preach it you may say it but if you're living in a way where you're just trying to get even with people you really don't know what it is that god has forgiven you i'm going to say that one more time if you're living in a way where you always want judgment justice on somebody for what they said or did to you you don't know what it feels like to be forgiven by Christ and 1 John 3.18 says this little children let us not love in word or in talk but let us love in deed and in truth this is not easy teaching I get it I fail at this often. Not that often. <laughs> yeah, probably often. I don't want you to think your pastor is like a total jerk. But, you know, we fail at this all the time. This is hard teaching. Th- Jesus is calling each one of us out and saying, do you really get my message of grace? Do you really f- know what it feels like to be forgiven? Do you? Because if you do, you won't be treating people this way. 
this is a message for all of us because we're all not nice to some people, right? There's someone in each one of our lives where we just cannot stand them. We, we would even go far as to say, man, I hate that person. This is a message for all of us. And God is saying, live above the fray, man. Live above normal human behavior. Because in essence, the only person that it's hurting you being upset is who? You. The person who hurt you doesn't care. This is a message about finding peace in such a turbulent world. This is a message about learning how to actually live in a loving way, not just to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but to believers everywhere. This is a message for you and I to not murder. I've asked, um, I've asked Genevieve and our worship team, um, from the very moment that we started the sermon series, I said, I want a song, a theme song that ties everything together. And uh, this morning, we don't have the rocks down there because we didn't set them up. But we've said that the Ten Commandments are powerless to save and they are powerless to forgive you and they're powerless to assure you salvation. It's not why we follow them. Only Christ, and it is in Christ alone who can save you, who can forgive you, and who can give you a chance for a new day. And so this morning, we're closing our service with the song in Christ alone. And I want you to just think about the words as you sing them. Be reminded that it is in Christ and Christ alone that you are given salvation, that you have been forgiven of all of the worst things you've ever done. As bad as they might be, you are given freedom from that guilt. I just pray that it would speak into your heart this morning. Please rise with us. Father, we are eternally grateful 
not just for all the things you do for us today, Lord, but that you've given your son. How painful that must have been and how costly his death was on that cross. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us or rather thank you for forgiving us that we have crowded so many other things in our life and have left you out of it. And so, God, we pray that you would send your Spirit upon each one of us and that you would give us a double portion, that you would fill us and that you would transform us and change us in such a way that we would bring honor and glory to you. God, we pray that we would not act in murderous ways towards other people, but that we would be grace and truth. Help us to live like stars that shine in the darkness, that we would be like light that reflects your light, and that we would bring the good news of your love to all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We, um, this brings our service to a close, and we just want to thank all of you for being here. We know that you could have been anywhere else. You could have been wherever. But we're thankful that you're here, and we know that God is doing a good work in you. And so we just pray that the teaching this morning was a difficult teaching, but we know that it is through God's grace that he allows us to continue to get better.